Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. During this season, we want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for breathing life into us. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you yourself would come. Born of a virgin, miraculous birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, all because you loved us. Lord, thank you. We can't say it enough. Thank you for loving us beyond measure. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see you, and thank you for being here. And I know it's an extremely busy time. We're only three days away from Christmas, and there's lots to be done, but you've made the effort to be here, and we're so glad that you chose to be here. A number of weeks ago, we started a series called Hope Has a Name. Uh, in a world where there's so much anxiety and tension and stress and worry and overworked and overwhelmed and discouragement and disillusionment and disappointments and moments of desperation, we often will wonder, is there any hope? Is hope just a figment of my imagination? Or is there really hope in 2019? This is not just a hypothetical question. This is the question that millions of people ask around the world. And not just parts of the world where it's worn, torn, or a third world country. That same question is asked right here in a well-resourced, blessed country like Canada. And it's not just asked on the other side of our country, it's asked right here in our own city. Is there hope? In fact, there are people right now in our pews that would ask the same question. Is there any hope for tomorrow? Can hope be found? And over the last month, I've heard so many of you share your stories of, of desperation. Stories where you just never dreamed that your life would turn out this way. It was never planned to go this way. And I, and I understand some of you are, you're dealing with what it's like when a spouse walks out on you. And some of you are dealing what it is to, to go through a, a nasty divorce. Uh, some of you bear the deep sorrow of losing one of your children every parent's worst nightmare to stand by the gravesite of your child. Some of you struggle with infertility, and so the hope, the dream of having children, you wonder, is it ever going to happen for us? And some of you know what it's like to, to have grown up in a, in a home where parents weren't that loving, maybe abusive. And so it's a real question that people have. Can hope be found? I mean, actually, is there a better day? Is it possible that my future could be full of hope? Or is my life destined to live the remainder, the remaining years of my life this way? 
we, we took some time to look at the different kinds of hope. We, we said there's wishful hope and there's expectant hope and there's that certain hope. And wishful hope is what most people have. You know, they, they hope that the light turns green. They hope that they win the mega million. That's most people hope. Uh, but then there's that expectant hope. There's a little more reality, and we talked about that. You know, when, when a woman is pregnant, there's expecting, they're expecting a mother, they're expecting a child. But even expectant hope doesn't always turn out the way we thought. But then there's this certain hope, this guaranteed hope, this certain hope that can only come from one, Jesus himself. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go on, on our website and, and just listen to the series of, of hope the fact that hope can be found. One thing about it we know is that hope is always future looking. It never looks back at our situation. It's always looking out the windshield. It's never looking in the rearview mirror. Hope is really believing that my tomorrow can be much better than my today. We started our series by reading a passage of scripture written by a man who wrote some very powerful man, uh, words. A, a man who found himself to be in a prison in Rome, locked up, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with no idea of what the future was going to hold, simply for just sharing the good news that God loved people and sent his son Jesus. And as he was in there in that prison, he had no idea. Would he be found guilty? Would he stand in front of Caesar and, and plead his case? Will he rot in prison? Will he be ushered into death row? He didn't know. One thing is for sure, though. Life didn't turn out the way he was hoping. And yet, in the midst of all that, the Apostle Paul, who I'm talking about, writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, he says it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's when we're going to say, really, Paul, are you kidding me? You're in prison. And then he goes on to say, and be anxious for nothing. Why? Because God is near. Humanly speaking, we might want to interrupt Paul and say, dude, come on. Be serious. What do you mean, be anxious for nothing? God is near. Look at your situation. You're in prison How can you say be anxious for nothing? How can you say God is here? Look at your situation. I think to myself, is there something that the Apostle Paul knows that maybe, just maybe we need to be reminded of today? I often think to myself, how could Paul write those words and, and have a straight face? But he knows something. And I hope we'll discover that this morning. This week as I was reading a true story in the Old Testament about a prophet of God, I, I stumbled across these words. Here's this prophet of God who's been called by God, and this is what he says. He says, I have had enough. That's a quote. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, this guy gets, gets it. He knows exactly how some of us are feeling in December of 2019. His name is Elijah, and those are his words. God, I can't take it anymore. I've had enough. 
And when I first read that, I thought to myself, whoa, easy boy, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can say that kind of stuff to God. But then I read it again and again and again. And I thought, wow, here's a prophet of God, Elijah, being real. He's actually at his breaking point. And some of you know what that's like to be at your breaking point. You may be here this morning and you feel that I'm at my breaking point. Just one more thing and it's going to crush me. Just one more thing. And it's going to destroy me. Like the, the extra straw that breaks the camel's back. Now some of us are, are very familiar with this man named Elijah, and for others, maybe it's, maybe it's fairly new, this man's name. And in so many ways, Elijah is, is bigger than life. He's a man that I wouldn't want to tangle with. He, he's seen some things in his life that were so amazing that God had done. I sometimes wish I had been an eyewitness of to see God's power on display in Elijah's life. As many of you know, just over a month ago, 47 of us were in Israel. And we found ourselves on top of a mountain. In fact, I think we have some pictures here. It's called Mount Carmel. And that's the view. And that's where Elijah had his showdown. Elijah verse 850 false prophets. It can be found, the story can be found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Let me give you a little bit of background. Elijah has gone to King Ahab and told him there's a famine coming to the land and it's going to be a severe famine and it's going to go on for years. Now, Israel is already a very dry and arid, desert-like area, so they have no rain for three years. That's going to be hard on the people. In fact, the Bible says it was a severe famine. And King Ahab, when you study him, you discover that the Bible says he was considered the, the most wicked of all the kings that preceded him. He considered it trivial to sin before God. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, it says no other king provoked God like Ahab. But Ahab, when you compare him to his wife, was like a saint. His wife, Jezebel, one of a kind, um, vicious, vindictive, self-centered, pleasure-driven. She was mean and she was out for blood and she was out for Elijah's blood. She was so determined to track him down. He, it's like he had a target painted on his back. Uh, every man that she could at her disposal was to try to find Elijah. In fact, she said, I want him dead in the next 24 hours. We'll, there'll be no trial. He's guilty as charge. And why was she so hateful toward Elijah? Well, Elijah had, of course, given the news about the famine from God, but on that showdown with Elijah versus 850 false prophets, 850 false prophets died that day by Elijah. And Jezebel was furious. 
In fact, when you read a little bit about her, she's actually already been killing the prophets of God since she became the king's wife. But she had a spy in the royal household named Obadiah. And Obadiah was actually hiding a hundred of God's prophets and feeding them and providing them all under her nose. And then a few years have gone by and God says, Elijah, it's time for you to have a face-to-face meeting with the king, Ahab. Now, I, I don't know, but I, I picture that Ahab would be filled with anxiety. What do you mean have a meeting with the king? His wife has a target on my back. He, she's out to kill me. She, she sent people out to find me. What do you mean have a meeting with the king? And it happened that Obadiah was out for a walk and ran into the prophet of Elijah. And a meeting was put together. And when the king, Ahab, saw Elijah at a distance, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, Elijah, you troublemaker! Blamed him for everything that was happening in the kingdom. Elijah's response was, no, 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 no. I'm not the troublemaker. You're the one who's making trouble for our nation. That's all found in 1 Kings 18. So what I'm going to do, what I'd like to do is continue from that point on. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, because we always take time to look at God's Word, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have anything to follow along with, it also will be on the screen for you. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for this journey is is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Maybe you would say the exact same words that Elijah said on that day. <laughs> I, can't take, I, I can't take anymore. I, I, I've had enough. I, I've been working my fingers to the bone trying to pr- pay the bills and put food on the table for my family. And, and I understand some of you guys are in marriages and you're, you're, you're just like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to make it work. And then maybe you find your spouse in another lie. And you're like, I, I just can't take this anymore. I, I've had enough of it. You know, maybe you're here and 
you're a single parent and, and, and you don't have all the support that you need and, and you're trying to juggle work and school and meals and homework and sporting events and you have a hard time keeping up and you're just like, I can't take it anymore. I, I've, I've had enough. Or maybe for you this morning, it's your health. You know, you finally get over some long-term illness and you think, well, there's going to be a brighter day and then bam, you're dealing with another sickness. I have a friend of mine in, in um, Nova Scotia. The son, I think, is 11. And a couple years ago, his, his son was diagnosed with cancer. And so, you know, they spent so, like a year in the hospital and the chemo and the radiation and the injections and the nausea. And finally, he was in remission. But I noticed this week, he posted on Facebook. I don't know if I can do it again. I just found out the cancer's back for my son. Back to the hospital. Back from our treatments. I, I don't know if I can do it again. You know, maybe it's as simple as for you as you've done your 500th load of laundry and nobody has said thank you to you. Nobody appreciates you for what you're done. No recognition for your hard work. And you say, I can't take it anymore. That's it. I'm done. When you leave the house now, you smell. That's it. I've said before, uh, for myself, it's, it's, it's criticism sometimes that can kind of get under your skin. You know, you can take the first 100th criticism, but it's the 101 sometimes that can, you know, crush you. And you simply say, I'm done. I've had enough. So when Elijah speaks those words, we know exactly what he is thinking. We can identify, we can relate to those moments of exhaustion and discouragement. And we wonder, is there hope that anything is going to change in my life? Now this morning, I want us to notice a couple things. When Elijah gets to that point where he says, I can't take it anymore. Lord, seriously, I, I've had enough. I want us to look at maybe, maybe some of the reasons that led even up to that point. First of all, we find that Elijah ran himself ragged. It says he ran to Beersheba. That's, uh, that's almost 100 miles away. I mean, that's like doing like three, four marathons. The, the man is exhausted. I mean, he's just come off from being up on Mount Carmel, that big showdown, and he's exhausted. And he's been hiding out, and he's been on the run for years with his life. A target painted on his back, always looking over his shoulder. And he's tired, and he's been going at it for years. And some of you, I know, you, you've been going at it hard for a long time and you're exhausted and quite honestly it is hard to see hope when you're mentally and physically and spiritually exhausted another thing you can pick up here is I found it very interesting that, that he went out on a day's journey by himself. He, he left the servant, the one who had been traveling with, the one who just was his, his companion. He leaves him behind. 
And he goes out all by himself with no support. I think sometimes we try to do life on our own. We get in these points when, because you feel so alone, and you cry out, I can't take it anymore. Sometimes it's because we, we shut people out. I look at Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing? You're exhausted, and now you're going to go a, a day's trip all by yourself. Nobody there to help you. I mean, that's why we encourage small groups so much, you know, doing life together, because we know life is better together. We're, we're complete when we're connected to the family of God. And, and honestly, I don't know if you can really feel, fully feel complete doing life on your own. And I realize that some of you are, you know, you're bent toward more of being an introvert and maybe a little bit of a, of a loner. But I don't know if you can fully live out all that God has called you when you try to do life on your own. I'm not saying you have to be a party person. I'm just saying I don't think we can do life on our own. And then when you read through there, Elijah just begins to look back at the past and his ancestors. It just gets really very negative and I thought, man, if you just had somebody with you, Elijah, you could say, hey, Elijah, but remember when God did this. Elijah, remember this. Get your focus back. But sometimes when we try to do life on our own, we don't have somebody like that. They can help us refocus, help us to remember that hope offers a better tomorrow than my yesterday. And then as you're reading through that story again, you're just reminded, Elijah, how did you forget God? Look at what he did. And sometimes I feel like we lose hope because, you know, we forget God. We forget what God has done. Uh, we try to face the problems on our own, and we forget. I mean, God was present in every single situation that Elijah had faced. He had proved himself to be faithful every time. But somewhere along the line, it seems like Elijah forgot. By the way, sometimes I do too. You forget to bring God into the situation. In fact, even Elijah's name should have reminded him. His name means, my God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. Jehovah is my God. In other words, uh, God is my source. God is my sustainer. God is my strength. God is my tower. God is my refuge. God is my hope. But even knowing all this, even knowing that God was near, Elijah falls apart. And what do you think God would say to Elijah? <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't, doesn't just scold Elijah. Come on, Elijah. What's wrong with you, boy? Haven't you seen what I've done for you? Come on, get with it. In the past, I haven't gone anywhere. Like, but he doesn't. He meets Elijah right at his knees. Elijah's exhausted, hungry. Elijah sleeps, and when he wakes up, there's a hot meal for Elijah because that's what Elijah needed. God met Elijah at his need. 
And here's the next part I want you to hear. Let's pick up the story again. Chapter 19, pick it up at 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, he's gone into the cave. He's up on Mount Horeb. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount, mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God wasn't in the wind and the storm and the earthquake and the fire. God was found in the whisper. In a whisper. See, God was not in the miraculous, the remarkable. He was found in the ordinary. Have you ever wondered why when you're discouraged, maybe depressed, disillusioned, maybe in those moments where you're filled with despair, you ever wonder why God doesn't just yell out at you? Why doesn't he just say, hey, you're going to be okay. Hang in there. Come on, pull your bootstraps up. Why does he whisper? Like, why whisper? I think because when God whispers, the tendency is to draw closer. When God whispers, we lean in and we listen. Now, on the other hand, <laughs> we have an enemy who loves to shout out at us. Shout, you know, those, those voices of condemnation. You're, 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 you are never going to get this thing right why do you think God would love you? Seriously, look at your past. Look at your mistakes over and over and over again. You're way too broken. You're way too messed up. Are you delusional to think that God cares for you? You'll never be enough. You'll always be on your own. Those are the kind of statements that are shouted out to us. But God, whispers. God, God says, I'm always with you. I'll never forsake you. I'm as close as the mention of your name, my name. 
I love you. I, I care for you. I'm here for you. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Not death, not life, not angels, not powers, not things present, not things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He whispers because he is near. He's near. And he can speak very softly because he's close. At this season, God put on display just how close he wanted to be. For hundreds of years, it was prophesied that someone would come to deliver people, that God was going to send a rescuer. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born, it was predicted very precisely, specifically, it would be in Bethlehem, and that it would be a virgin. How in the world would this happen? We're told he would die a cruel death. But I think to my, I was thinking this week with all the prophecies and all the conversations and all the predictions and all the discussions, I don't think people really understood God himself was coming. God himself came. I think people thought God would send someone, but come himself. I was reminded of a song this week. I was reading the lyrics. I just want to read a couple of them to you. Songs written about 10, 11 years ago. Would you believe after all we've projected, a child in a manger, lowly and small, the weakest of all, the unlikeliest hero wrapped in his mother's shawl, just a child, is this who we've waited for? Because how many kings stepped down from their thrones and how many lords abandoned their homes and how many greats have become the least for me and how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that has been torn apart. Born in a lowly birth, God, God came and lived among us and interacted with us and laughed with us and worked hard with us and then died for us. And when Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. Not God above us, not God over us, God with us. That is why the Apostle Paul could write, be anxious for nothing, God is near. God is near. In fact, he's as close as the mention of his name. I was listening to Pastor Greg Rochelle, the other day, made this statement that I, it, it resonated with me. He said, my experience plus God's Should I use the handheld?
my experience. Failing. Can you hear me? Okay. My experience plus God's presence is enough. Like my experience, no matter what it is, and some of my experiences, I'm, I'm going to be honest, have not been good. Some of them have actually been ugly. Some of them have been painful. Some of them have caused great anxiety. Some of them have caused me to spiral down in those moments of despair. But here's what I'm learning. Hope has a name. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. My experience plus God's presence is enough. And here's what I want you to know before you leave this morning. No matter what you are going through, no matter what the circumstances are, and, I, and some of you have said in the last couple weeks, these are your words, not my words. Some of you have said to me, I feel like I'm living in hell on earth. That's what it feels like my life is. And it's no wonder you think to yourself, is there really any hope? But I'm telling you, your experience plus God's presence is enough. And I, and I realize that some, some of the things that happen, they're bad. They're actually even worse than sometimes we even imagined that they were going to be. But God's presence and his goodness will carry you through. Because he's always faithful. He, he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That's why the Apostle Paul could write in prison while he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He could say, God is near. Be anxious for nothing. That's why he could say, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident, he says, to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And this is what I love. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is near. And when we come to the realization that his presence is enough, it blows our minds that we could actually have the peace of God that is beyond human understanding. It's possible this morning that you were here at the lowest point of your life. I don't know everyone's story here. And you would say, well, I don't see God anywhere. It's possible that you don't see him because you don't know him. You might believe sort of, maybe a few things about him. You know, maybe you're even, we consider yourself a little bit churchy, but, but you don't know him. Oh, you may know a few things about God. The question is, do you know him personally? Sometimes, not always, but I think sometimes God allows us to get so low, so low, 
that the only place left is look up. Is to look up. That's why God sent hope. His son. His one and only. He sent them. He sent Jesus for those who are desperate, for those who have grossly sinned, for those who are broken, those who have messed up again and again and again, those who are dysfunctional, those who are repeat offenders, those who have gone off the rails, those who have fallen for temptation after temptation after temptation. That's who he came for. He came to rescue us right where we are. No cleaning ourselves up. He takes us right where we are in our mess and in our confusion. That's why God sent Jesus in a manger. Born in the shadow of a cross. Born to die for the sins of the world. He shed his innocent blood for the guilty like you and me. And it does not matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter what your current situation is like. Because the Bible says anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be forgiven, will be saved. He is here and he is near. And as you're listening, whether you're listening online or right here in this room, I want to encourage you. Call out to him. He's here. And he's near. And when you call out to him, this is what we know to be true. He hears your voice. He comes. And he resides in us. And there is nothing that he cannot forgive. Because he gives us a brand new life, a, a life full of hope. Because hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you this morning that no matter what we're going through, you're still here and you're still near. Lord, I, I don't know everyone's situation here, but you do. And Lord, as we said, it's possible maybe somebody's here this morning at their lowest point, at their breaking point. And they're here truly asking, can there be a better tomorrow than my yesterday? Can there be a, be a better tomorrow than my current situation? And God, there can be. It's called hope. Hope that is found in you. So Lord, I want to pray for us. And for those of us who do not know you personally, Lord, before leaving here this morning, would they cry out to you? And invite you to come in and, and reign. Forgive them of their sins and give them a hope, a hope that they've never had before, a hope that can be found in you.
And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.